hope. Um, so if you can't figure it out, I'm Jake Sanders. I'm the youth pastor here. That's why I'm up here with a bunch of middle schoolers. Um, and we wanted to share with you um, a little bit about what goes on on Wednesday nights. This uh, happens out at the intersection um, right by the family dollar there. And it happens on Wednesday nights, so most of you don't get to see it. And I wanted to just kind of celebrate what God's doing there. This is not me like, hey, you guys hired me six months ago. Make sure you keep me on. I'm doing good things. That's not what this is about. This is me celebrating what God's doing. So I just want to talk to We're going to have a, some of them are up here to talk. Some of them are uh, moral support. Um, but I just want you guys, I've got Tess, Eliana, Riley, Michaela, and Emma. Um, and they're just going to share a little bit about what they like about Wednesday nights, what we like doing, and then what, how Wednesday nights have made them closer to God. Um, so I personally really like how when Jake is speaking, it's really interactive. So he's just not like preaching to us. We're like, like answering questions and asking questions. And um, this helps me with my walk with God because right now we're doing the I am statements and it helps me know who God is and who he says I am. I like small groups because it's helped me to be more open, which I wouldn't usually do in large groups. Mine is definitely the people because anytime we're there, and if there's a new person, everybody uh, tries to bring them in, so they become family like the rest of us. Just a little bit of what goes on on Wednesday nights, and uh, it's awesome. I mean, I didn't, it was a little scary coming up here. I did not screen any of them or anything, and it's just, it's awesome. Um, I had one of my favorite moments in ministry. It was last Wednesday, and we finished talking, and one of, um, I think it was Ella Townsley, asked me a question, and we ended up just sitting and talking about just how God works and how to share your faith just for, I think, 20 minutes. I mean, parents are sitting out there <laughs> ready to go, cars started, and we're just sitting talking about the things of God. This is an awesome group, and God is just doing awesome things on Wednesday nights. Thanks, guys. Um, so we're going to go ahead and close in prayer um, as we take the offering. We just want to share what God's doing at New Hope. These are the kind of things that we're supporting. Let's go ahead and pray. Um, Lord, we just, we thank you for everything you do. We thank you for how you're working in student ministry, Lord. We thank you for the hearts of these young men and women. Um, we thank you just for their passion for you, their desire to know who you are and who they are in you, Lord. Pray that you would just, uh, bless this church as we, we look forward to another 20 years at least, Lord. May you, uh, just give us a good Sunday today as we seek to praise you. In your name, amen. So when we moved here, um, we had a young family. We had four children. The oldest was eight years old. Our baby was a year and a half. And uh, so I was a young father, uh, about 35 years old. And what, what I found was that New Hope was an opportunity for us to serve in significant ways. We had been part of a, an e-free church in Wisconsin prior to moving to Iowa. Uh, when we got here, uh, we just felt that it was the Lord's direction that we ended up in Adel. And that's a whole God story by itself. But uh, the fact we ended up here and then found out within a couple of weeks that uh, New Hope Church was starting here, a uh, brand new E-Free Church plant. And uh, with our uh, background in the E-Free Church in Wisconsin, we just felt that that was home for us. Our kids immediately felt at home with the other children and the Sunday school teachers. And uh, we were welcomed warmly. And uh, it just became our church home very quickly. Um, 
But because it was a new church and a very small congregation, obviously, at that time, there was lots of opportunities to serve. So we were able to jump in quickly and uh, get involved in worship team and set up uh, virtually everybody that was able-bodied was involved in setting up chairs and tables and curtains and everything else in the early years. Uh, So that was very fond memories. And then there were leadership opportunities, so things that I hadn't necessarily had opportunity to do in a larger congregation in Wisconsin. Uh, We found the need to serve as uh, uh, small group leaders for couples groups. Um, I got involved uh, not too many years after moving here in the uh, elder board. I was asked to serve on the elder board, and that was a significant leadership opportunity. So what I found was that God was stretching me um, to serve in more and more significant ways. So... um, you know, serving on the elder board, even as a, you know, what I would consider to be a pretty young man, uh, learned a lot through that, um, significant service there. And then from there, went on to things like leading um, the building committee uh, when we built this beautiful building that we're sitting in today. Um, I also served on the land acquisition committee. And then uh, uh, now I've returned to the elder board after a few years and served on many other committees, pastor search committees and things throughout the year. So God definitely uh, has been stretching me throughout my time here. Um, what I've learned over the years is to appreciate what that word family means in, in respect to a church. You know, thinking about just the relationships that are formed, how we love and care and support one another and share each other's burdens and joys and sadness, sorrows. Um, that's been very real here. Um, and I think that is a significant part of what the church is called to do, uh, the body one with another. You know, I think about... Uh, God's words in Ephesians, uh, I think it's chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine through his power that is at work in us. To him be glory through the church and through Christ through all throughout all generations and forever and ever. Amen. And I just feel like that is that is being lived out here. There's been some. When we started coming to New Hope Church, I would say my husband and I were just on um, a spiritual awakening time in our life, and it's been a journey since then of um, him replacing a lot of um, revealing of lies that we've maybe believed in our life um, through circumstances and situations in our past. And so he's worked in our life to peel back those layers and um, allow us the freedom to live as he created us to be and the freedom for him to um, be present within us and um, love and reach his people. Um, New Hope Church to me is, um, and it's it's how we started coming here. It, It was a place where people were actually living and, um, relating and moving in a way that showed that Jesus Christ indeed um, had accomplished everything and lives in them. And so I would say New Hope Church to me means um, a a constant, something that just remains unchanged and lets us learn to live and relate within that.
Good morning, New Hope Church. Good to see everybody here today. I'm Pastor Tom, one of the staff pastors here at New Hope. And hasn't it been fun to see all those stories uh, over the last weeks and see what God has been doing and believing on what God is going to do as well in the next 20, 30, however many years that uh, we continue to be able to see his work in the life both of New Hope Church corporately and in each of our individual lives, for one flows into the other. We are looking at stories in the Bible as we celebrate 20 years, the story of how God works and the story of how God works in our individual lives and in the stories of people within Scripture and we see how God worked in their lives. History is his story, God's story. And as we develop our relationship with God, we live our lives within God's story. We're going to look this morning at Nicodemus, or I like to call him Nick, because he was a guy just like us. And Nick comes to Jesus at night. And so we're going to use his story to be able to ask questions about our own stories. Let's begin with a little context back in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. So, as I said, this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus took place at night. It took place during a Passover feast. Jesus had been doing lots of miracles, and people are starting to see those miracles, and they're saying, wow, isn't this amazing? And yet it says that Jesus did not reveal the full extent of who he was, because he knows what is in the heart of people. What is it that he knew? What is it that he knows? He knows that people tend to be captivated by the spectacular, that they see a miracle and they say, I want to see all these miracles. Jesus knew that within us there are twisted emotions and motivations. He knows the heart. He knows that though we are created in the image of God, that we are also sinful. And that our motives can become twisted, our perspectives can become distorted. He knew that they would try to push him to declare his Messiahship before the time was ready for him to go to the cross. He knew that people wouldn't have the right perspective until they had been taught more about him as king, until they've been taught more about him and the kingdom. Jesus knew that it was far easier to be led by the crowd and by the emotion and the stirring of the crowd than it was and is to be led by the Lord. We can get our perspectives distorted because of what's going on with the crowd rather than asking What is Jesus doing? How am I responding to Jesus? And what God invites us to do is respond to what Jesus is doing. 
Let's take a little more closer look at Nicodemus. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. What we see in Nicodemus' life is he's a man who is a person just like us, and yet he was a person who had lots of achievement. And we'll have to place a little bit of historical context around this as well. He was an, a well-educated person. We know this because he was a member of the Pharisees, We know that he was a leader in Israel. If you look down at verse 10, if you have a Bible, be sure to follow along. Down in verse 10, he's called the teacher. Not just a teacher, the teacher. And so he was a person who was educated, a person who had that opportunity, that platform to teach others. And so one of the applications... We all have different kinds of achievement, and one of those kinds of achievement that we have often is education. But the problem with education is that sometimes we can take education and believe that we know more about living life than we really do. We can see in the life of Nicodemus that even though he was a well-educated person, he needed to respond to Jesus. No matter what our education is, whether limited or more, whether high school education or a doctoral degree, we need to respond to Jesus and his work in our lives and not just rely on education. Nicodemus was wealthy. After he was crucified, John 19.39 says that he actually went out and he bought the spices that they were going to use as they anointed the body of Jesus. And only a wealthy person could have afforded the 75 pounds of spices that he bought. Again, regardless of what our financial situation, whether we have more or less, we all come to the cross on even ground, same ground. Jesus invites us, come to me. He says, as you are, as we are, whether we feel like we're wealthy, whether we feel like we're poor, whether we feel like we're middle class, he says, come, one and all. He was a powerful person. English Standard Version calls him a ruler of the Jews. NIV has a member of the Jewish ruling council, which officially was called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a group of 70 people. We might think of it kind of like the Supreme Court. They were the people who made the ultimate rules, ultimate decisions. He was a person who was powerful. Once again, he was top dog. But top, being top dog does not open heaven's doors. He's a religious person. He is a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were a group of people who strived to keep the Old Testament law in the most meticulous detail. Now, Jesus often collided with the Pharisees, if you remember your reading of the Gospels. But even though Jesus critiqued the Pharisees, he also recognized that they were religious people. Just that... They were off in how they sought to live out their religious life. They wanted to be holy. They wanted to live right. They just, they didn't know how to do it. 
All they knew was the religion that they'd been given. You know, and, and that's true for all of us. It's true for all the people in your network. People, whether they go to church or don't go to church, people only know what they know, right? We only know from the limited kinds of experiences that we have. And we tend as people to get locked into those kinds of things. XYZ church, ABC church, no church. And so a part of what Jesus does, and there's a lot of lessons in this passage, but a part of what Jesus does, and if you continue to study the life of Jesus, he asks really good questions that get to the heart and can break through some of those kinds of things that get in the way of people authentically responding to Jesus. He's a religious person. He was an achiever. Nicodemus was an achiever, but achievement doesn't satisfy the thirst of the heart. Only Jesus can satisfy the thirst of a heart. Deep down within us, deep down within your neighbor, deep down within your life of your family member, deep down within all of us is a thirst that achievement can't satisfy. But Jesus can and will. And that's a lesson that I need to keep learning. It's a lesson that you need to keep learning. It's a lesson we all need to keep learning over and over again, because we all want to do it ourselves. Jesus knew what was in, what is in the heart of a person. It's in my heart, it's in your heart. And so he says, come as you are. Next lesson, verse two. Seek Jesus like your life depends on it. Because it does. He came to Jesus at night. That is, Nick came to Jesus at night. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. So here, he's a teacher, and now he's saying, Jesus, you're a teacher. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus has seen these miracles going on. He's seen what has happened. He's recognizing that, acknowledging that. He has hypothesis. God's up to something here. And he doesn't exactly know what God's up to, but he's seen Jesus, he's experienced Jesus, and he's saying, God is doing something here, and I want to figure out what it is. He says, God's with you. Now, the question is, was he sincere? I think he was sincere. Number one, he's coming at night, which back in those days was a dangerous time to be traveling around. There weren't street lights on every corner or on every street. And he'd get in a lot of trouble. He could have somebody knock him on the head, knock him out, steal from him. He could have somebody jump out and kill him. It's a dangerous place to be, so he's risking himself going out at night. Secondly, I think he was sincere because as you read through the Gospel of John, you discover that he has interactions with his fellow Pharisees in which he defends Jesus, in which he says, hey, hey, hey give him a chance. One of those is over in John 7, verses 45 through 52. The temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? That is, why didn't you bring Jesus in? 
No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. Then the Pharisees, you mean he's deceived you also? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in? No, but this mob knows nothing of the law. There's a curse on them. And then it says this about Nicodemus. It says, Nicodemus, who'd gone to Jesus earlier. So back in John 3, we're going to continue in John 3 in just a second. This is later here in John 7. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? And then this kind of just sounds like the kind of an argument that takes place like between friends. They uh, say to him, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And you just imagine them kind of arguing. But Nicodemus is defending Jesus. He's saying, hey, maybe God's up to something here. Additionally, back in John 19, 39 again, Nicodemus was deeply involved in the burial of Jesus' body. Joseph of Arimathea, you remember, was a secret disciple of Jesus. He asked Pilate if he could take the body of Jesus to the tomb, and there was somebody that went with him. Do you know who that is? Nicodemus. John 19, 31, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. So we don't know if he became a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, if he received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, but there are some hints here that if he hadn't, if he hadn't done so, he was on the way because he's recognizing God's at work here. Back in John 3. Jesus shares with him a truth that is available, accessible by children, but often misunderstood, misconstrued, not taken seriously by people of all ages. John 3.3, the key text here in this passage. This is really the big idea right here in the text. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. God's kingdom life is for those who are born again. Or we might say it another way, God's kingdom life is for those who have a restart in their life. The word born again, you might think, oh, that's kind of funny, churchy language. Not some of you know your Bibles, and so it doesn't shock you, but if you'd never heard these words, born again, you think, what does that mean? Or you think it's some kind of political affiliation, or you think it's for churchy religious people, but it's here in the text. Let's start with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God refers to our relationship with the king of the universe. God created it all. He owns it all. It's his story. History is his story. And the kingdom means that we enter into a relationship with the king. To enter into the kingdom is to have a relationship with King Jesus. It's the way to satisfy your soul. It's to come under his kingship. 
Now, life under Jesus' leadership involves knowing what's right, what's wrong. Life in his kingdom means caring for the poor, means loving God, loving people, means living out the life of the kingdom, the life that God gives us through his word. How about born again? What does this mean? Well, it's one word in the Greek. And even though it's translated with two words, born again. Now, the, sometimes we use one word, a very theological word that you're probably going to forget, regeneration. But I decided, in fact, uh, this morning as I was thinking a little more about this, probably a really good word to use to translate this is restart. We all need a restart. Every person in the world needs a restart. To be born again means to have a restart in life. It's a whole new way of seeing life. Back when I was in about fifth grade, I was sitting kind of toward the back of the class, and my teacher was writing up on the chalkboard and I was having a more and more difficult time seeing the chalkboard. I thought, there's a sunlight coming on the chalkboard. And I thought the teacher wasn't writing big enough, wasn't writing hard enough. And I, I was kind of a bold kid. I said, you're not writing big enough and not hard enough on the blackboard. Uh, she was smarter than me, so she talked to my parents. I went to the optometrist, and I was humbled. I got glasses. And so then you know, couldn't believe. You could see the trees outside in the distance and the different colors. I never knew the world looked like this. And essentially to be born again is to have a whole new perspective on life to be awakened to all the colors of the world, to be awakened to the life of God as he works in our own lives and in the life of the world. Being born again is seeing life in a whole new way. You know, we tend to blame our situations on circumstances, on people, sometimes on ourselves. But when God works in our life, when he awakens us, when we have a restart, then we can see life as it really is in a whole new way. Nicodemus isn't quite getting it. He's not put on his spiritual glasses yet. So he asks a question, verse 4. How can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. It's a kind of crazy idea, really. You say, he ought to be able to figure this out. But it's one of those comforting parts of Scripture. He asked this crazy idea, we might call it a dumb question, although there really aren't, really aren't any dumb questions. All questions are good questions if we're open to learn. But it makes me feel good because 
Sometimes I ask questions like that. Sometimes we all ask questions like that. And Jesus turns to him, and Jesus has an answer for him in just a second here. Jesus answered, he says, I tell you the truth. Unless a man is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Now, before we go on with that section, you notice that later on in John chapter 3, Jesus tells some things to Nicodemus about God's love, about why the Son came into the world. He gives probably the most familiar passage, familiar verse that anyone who's ever attended church probably knows in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have eternal life. And so that's a part of the context here is that Jesus is saying, what I say to you, what I say to you, congregation, is this is a part of God's great love for you, that you would have this restart in life. Being born again is not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And that's the best part. It's the best part. So verses 5 through 7, Jesus says, you must be born again. Now this part about the water can be a little difficult to understand. First of all, what it does not mean. It does not mean that water baptism is a requirement for salvation. It does not mean that if you have water baptism, whether as an infant or later on, that this automatically brings you into the kingdom of God does not mean that, first and foremost, because we have dozens and dozens of passages that tell us that the way we enter the kingdom of God, the way heaven's doors are opened are when we place our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for our sins, his resurrection life. That's how we enter into the kingdom life. That's how heaven's doors are opened Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you're saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's the gift of God offered to you so that no one can boast. In other words, it's not by us. It's God's gift offered freely to us. It's not through any kind of ritual, whether baptism or some kind of prayer or anything else. It's by receiving God's gift. Furthermore, look closely at this passage in verses 5 and 6. It's important to read slowly, to look closely, to study your Bible well. And this is one of those examples of this. Here in verse 5, Persons born of water and the Spirit. Now, what do we say right before, right before a woman gives birth sometimes? The water is breaking and the birth comes. And so, likewise here, throughout this passage, Jesus parallels the physical with the spiritual. And so, in verse 5, 
He says a person is born of water. A person is born when this biological event happens. And then they're born of spirit. So there's a physical birth, the breaking of the water, and then the breakthrough of the spirit. And those are in parallel. And then verse 6, he says the same thing. Okay, again, look closely. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. There's a parallel. Water and flesh, spirit and spirit. And this is where studying your Bible closely helps to give us understanding. This is the parallel. It's a very Jewish way of speaking to have these kinds of parallels. So when Jesus talks about being born of water, all he's saying is that you have a physical birth. And then he says, you need to also have a spiritual birth. That's what he's saying. You must be born again. You've had a a physical birth. Have you had a spiritual birth? Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases, Jesus says. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So the final point here is that we're to listen to the leading of the Spirit. Jesus talks about the wind. He says, listen to the wind blow, not the Fleetwood Mac version. This is the Jesus version. Listen. Now it's possible maybe maybe the wind was blowing as he and Nicodemus were sitting there talking. You could hear the wind. You can picture that. The word wind in both Hebrew and Greek can also be translated spirit. And so again, there's these parallels going on. Let's think about the wind a little bit. Wind is powerful. Wind can push a sailboat, can rotate these big windmills all across Iowa that are producing electricity, can level a building when a tornado or a hurricane hits. I remember seeing pictures when hurricanes have hit the coast of boats that are lifted up out of the water and moved inland. When I was a kid, I remember seeing a picture of a straw that had been propelled through a telephone pole. A straw, a plastic straw. I don't have any idea how that happened. But the wind is powerful. And likewise, the power of the Spirit is the most powerful force in the universe, the power of the Spirit of God to give us a restart in our life, to work in our lives, to change people's lives, to impact the life of a church, the life of a community, the life of the world. Many of us have experienced that work of the Spirit and our hope. So think about 20 years of being New Hope Church. 
It, it is awesome to look back. And like I said, I'm really encouraged by the testimonies. But we're not just looking back at history. We're actually asking the question, what is his story? What is God's story right now and into the future? And what is God going to continue to do? If we're going to ask that question, we have to be listening, don't we? We have to be listening for the life of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit. We have to ask the question, what is God up to? What's he doing right now? What's he doing in people's lives? What is he doing in the life of people that I know? There are a few Nicks in your life. You you may be a Nicodemus, but there are a few people that you know who are searching. They might, may not tell you, or they might. They may have questions. Sometimes it may be questions trying to push your buttons. But all questions are good questions. All questions are opportunities. Ask God, what are you doing here? What are you doing this day in my life? What are you doing in the life of the people that I impact? Secondly, the wind can be comforting at times. Think of flying a kite. Think of going to the beach and the wind's blowing there. Think of a sailboat again. And likewise, the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of God works in our lives. Romans tells us over in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, you did not receive a spirit that makes you again a slave, but you received the spirit of sonship. The spirit reminds us that we're children of God. Likewise, Romans 8, verse 26, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And finally, wind can be surprising. Weathermen... Sometimes get the weather right, but a lot of times they don't. And the Spirit of God can be surprising by the way God works, both in our lives and life of the people around us. And so just expect that God is going to do something, and we're not going to always know what it is that he's going to do. And that's all right, isn't it? It's all right. Be open to the surprising work that the Lord does. So that's my question this morning. How is the Lord leading you? If you've never said, God, come into my life. God, I want to be born again. I need a restart today. Then today's a great day to say, yes, Jesus. Yes, I want to follow you as my Lord, as my Savior. If you already been born again, if you know that you've responded to the Spirit of God, then I encourage you to ask this question, Lord, what are you up to? How can I join you in the work that you're doing? How can I be aware of what you're doing? Ask that question. Listen well. We're born again, and then we could describe ourselves as spiritual babies, but babies grow up. At least they're supposed to grow up. And so, secondary question for us to ask is, if you've been born again, now, Lord, how can I grow? 
How can I continue to be stretched in my life, in my service to you? God, help us to do that. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word, for the amazing truths that are there. Teach us, grow us, change us, transform us. Lord, I pray right now, there be one who has never responded to you, who says, I don't know if I'm born again. Pray in this day that right now at this hour, they would say, yes, Jesus, come into my life. I want to restart. I need to restart. I desperately need you to come into my life, to change my life, my pattern of life, my direction in life. And I trust in you. Lord, for those of us who know you, those of us who have have been born again, have been changed, help us to continue to be transformed, to be living the life of Jesus during the quiet times, during the loud times, during this week at work, during the times we have with family and friends. And we just pray, Lord God, help us to listen well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.